Hi, I'm Max Moynian of Future Earth. And I'm Henry Lin of Better World, and welcome to Better World. Better World is an exploration of badass people doing really cool things. The more we know about this world, the better we can do in changing. Electric cars today, they can get to the range of, you know, 200, 300, 400 miles. So for the one that can get to even 400 or 600 miles, their battery size is about 200 kilowatt hours. And then if you actually convert that into gas, every gallon of gas is about 33 kilowatt hours. So even a 200 kilowatt hour battery pack is essentially just about six gallons of gas. And with six gallons of gas in a gas car, you can get to maybe 100 miles. But with 200 kilowatt hours in in an EV, you can get to 600 miles. So today we're going to speak with Tom Sun, who is the CEO and co-founder of AmpUp. AmpUp exists to support the EV driving community with a goal to make charging as accessible and seamless for every EV driver. They're dedicated to helping businesses make customers happy by providing turnkey solutions for specific needs and be there every step of the way, from choosing chargers to managing them remotely. Henry's very pumped about this. I'm so stoked for this. Well, I read on a, um, a certain site, you know, don't want to shout out and give a plug the same way I do all the time, that there was a Midwest alliance, a coalition uh, coming together to make charging stations more readily available. Oh, um, uh, throughout you read region. Good News Tuesday this morning. He always reads Good News Tuesday. I'm like, I'm like the suck up in the back of the class. It's terrible. Well, the backstory here is that it was really Good News Tuesday today that that happened because it is a little bit challenging, especially in cities to be, you know, even in cities where you think this technology is getting adapted more readily to be charging your EV. I'm constantly, I'm so excited to learn more here today from a, on a personal note because I keep getting suckered into paying a garage fee to go charge my EV when I'm like out and about, um, you know, so like on top of paying for the supercharger, you have to pay to just be sitting in the garage. And I'm just like, I know that this isn't going to be long term what goes on here, but this is kind of annoying. But still, at the same time, I'm very satisfied not giving my money to ExxonMobil. So let me just make sure that's clear. The EV life is great, but I'm very excited to learn from Tom about how we're revolutionizing. Tom Son, welcome to the pod. Thank you. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Henry. Thank you for having me. It's great to talk to you guys about EVs. Okay, let's start from like, let's start from the beginning and get to know you a little better, Tom. Where are you from? Where do you live? Tell us your story a little. Yeah. Uh, so I'm one of those uh, first generation immigrant. Uh, came to the States when I was 13 from China. And um, the state I moved to uh, was Illinois. And I love the state, actually. And funny, you guys talk about the coalition in the Midwest. Uh, I still view the Midwest as my my home uh, region, uh, even though currently I'm located here in Cupertino, uh, California, where AMPUP headquarters is. So I, I, I basically went to school in Illinois. I went to Middle school, high school, college there, uh, when my father is a faculty at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, uh, in the middle of the cornfields. I majored in electrical engineering. And I've always had that, you know, more of a, I would say, creative mindset instead of saying entrepreneur, 
from early on because it just takes a lot more to be an entrepreneur. Uh, and I quickly actually found out because my senior design project, I decided to do a, a gift card system with my friend because in my time when I went to university, we're the generation where almost everyone's carrying a credit card, but uh, almost every single restaurant on campus accept only cash. And that was just very annoying. Uh, you had to carry a lot of changes in your pocket. So we, we made this gift card system that leverages existing credit cards uh, by bulking transactions together in one big batch. And then you can actually spend that money on every on any restaurant on campus. So that was the idea. but uh, And then we were able to actually make that thing. So it was almost like Square before Square existed. Uh, however, I had zero sales skills, so we ended up only convincing one restaurant to adopt it, and it was actually my friend's parents' restaurant. <laughs> Long story short, that didn't work out, but we did win a most marketable project for our senior design. Career-wise, after graduating from University of Illinois, I've uh, been working mostly as a software engineer from Wall Street to Silicon Valley. On Wall Street, I actually worked in the high-frequency trading uh, domain. And then in Silicon Valley, in the big data, uh, mostly in advertisement platforms. Uh, my most recent large company job was with Twitter before I came out and started doing startups again. I actually, the, my first project out was also renewable related. While I was working, you know, I still had a lot of friends that stayed in the electrical world. A lot of them actually work for the energy and utility companies. And I and and at that at that time I also moved to California and I really wanted solar panels. But we have a really large tree in the yard that made us unable to get solar panels. So that's where that idea came from. So basically, how can we create a solar credit platform where people can actually sell their solar credit to people that want solar energy but cannot get them? So you can actually in your neighborhood if you're generating solar energy. Maybe you can sell that to your neighbor, uh, either your neighbor or your neighborhood grocery store. You know, many corporations are looking to get to carbon neutral. Long story short, again, that that project, uh, I was able to raise some money for it. But in order to make that officially work, we had to integrate with the utility billing system, which was not an easy thing to do. Uh, yeah, due I was to, just going to say, yeah. like, infiltrating the utility companies is <laughs> extremely difficult. They have a... Right monopoly and a stronghold on that whole market no yeah exactly you're right uh, i learned that the hard way i was pretty naive thinking that you know somehow we'll bridge through this uh, i was trying to be resourceful pulling the professors uh, from from college who had you know 30 years of experience of dealing with utilities but even even with all of that uh, we weren't able to like you said bridge in uh, into the utility world yeah that sounds yeah exceedingly challenging i'm curious about how like you just said that a lot of the electrical engineers that you went to school with work for energy and oil and gas companies and so what what was your being in that kind of environment what was your inflection point of when you felt very driven to do something that was good for the planet let's say to be a hundred percent honest doing something great for the planet it's definitely on my list of reasons, but not actually at the very top. Oh, he's doing it for the money, people. Oh, he's I love this. It. I love this because here we have someone doing something good for the planet who also believe or believes on top of everything that it's going to be profitable. 
Yes. Great. Yes. For everyone. Okay. Let's let's hear more. Yeah. So really, it's just after seeing the uh, the Teslas, and from there, I actually researched into the history of electric cars in the U.S. and then uh, and then basically from there, I actually found out about the EV one uh, that was produced by uh, GM in the early days, and that was eventually killed by the oil and gas industry. And then, you know, I listened to a lot of actually podcasts from Elon that explains, you know, why the electric car is just superior to the gas car. My father was a mechanical engineering uh, professor, so I've always liked cars myself. He actually works in tractors, uh, which needs to be electrified too. Actually, that makes a ton of sense to be electrified uh, because they, ne- they never leave the farm. And then, you know, one simple thing that really clicked for me was electric cars today, they can get to the range of, you know, 200, 300, 400 miles with maybe, uh, so for the one that can get to even 400 or 600 miles, their battery size is about 200 kilowatt hours. And then if you actually convert that into uh, gas, so every gallon of gas is about 33 kilowatt hours. So even a 200 uh, kilowatt hour battery pack is essentially just about six uh, gallons of gas. And with with six gallons of gas on, in a gas car, you can get to maybe a hundred miles. But with two hundred kilowatt hours in, a, in an electric battery uh, in an EV, you can get to six hundred miles. So uh, six times as much range in an electric vehicle. Yes, yeah, with the same amount of energy, uh, and, and we can get even more efficient with that energy because you know right now the electricity that goes into our batteries are still not purely renewable but but i think we're on definitely on the right path you know we plug all the all the holes where uh gas are needed and then so transportation is number one and then once we do that you know and transition to even more efficient of converting directly the solar solar powers wind uh hydro and then into uh into the electricity in our evs cool yes amazing I, I need to hear, like, now we need to switch to AMP up because I'm so curious to learn more. And I have a yeah. feeling, I had this idea. I rented a Tesla um, in Los Angeles two years ago. And I kept seeing all these Tesla chargers in people's front yards. And I was looking for a public one that I can use. And I just had this idea that there should be an app where homeowners can let other ev drivers use their chargers you know because while we're in this phase of getting the infrastructure there which is going to take a minute here are all these chargers all over the place and why not it could be an you could make money off of it whatever so this is some great idea i had that i never did anything with and i have a feeling that you solved my idea and i'll just i'll just enter with that tell us about amp up what is what do you do exactly yeah, so you actually described just the the first uh, driver for the first version of Ampop. Uh, I had a feeling. Yeah. Um, so the first EV I had was a Nissan Leaf, and I had plenty of challenges of charging that car uh, because at the time I had no home charging and no workplace charging. So I was sort of like you in in your LA scenario where I had to rely on public charging. What year was this? Twenty seventeen. Right. So at that time, uh, you know, relying on a non-supercharger network was actually a challenge. Things have improved, but I oftentimes have to find myself uh, sneaking out of work in odd times of the day 
just to go to uh, some of the fast chargers where because during those times there's no no line uh, and I sit in the car uh, getting a sauna where well I get charged up so uh, it was very miserable and then the first version of Ampop actually came out at, at, the, at the time as a result of that uh, was because the the first idea uh, the solar credit idea you know came to a halt. And I was looking to see if I should go back to the large companies or try out another idea. So this basically came to me, which is building the Airbnb version of electric vehicle charging. Mm-hmm. I wasn't actually ready to do this uh, because there's another app called PlugShare. Uh, their name actually just states exactly that they were trying to be almost like the Airbnb version or the Craigslist version. Uh, if you look at how modern their app is, maybe Maybe they are more like a Craigslist. Uh, so I actually tried out a few uh, private uh, home charters on PlugShare, and my experience were actually pretty good for the first uh, first first two. Uh, the third one w- was not good because the host actually didn't end up uh, showing up or being there, and the charter was installed inside the garage. But the first two worked out great, and one you of got them- stood up. That's a thing. Yeah. On EV yes. charging date. Yo, literally on EV charging date, right? That's wild. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that happens. That, and, you know, we analyzed that. And that was actually one of the reasons we had to pivot away from this. Because when we actually officially tried to turn this into an, a business, because PlugShare wasn't trying to do this as a as their core business, we found out that the, the transaction value just wasn't high enough for the host to care enough. So... It's not like Airbnb where, you know, per night of stay, you can get, you know, anywhere from 100 to $200 of payment. So, and with EV charging, it's typically around $5 at most because it's mostly level two charging at private zone. Charging an EV is actually pretty cheap. Correct. Yeah. Paying $5 is actually already overpaying. Yeah. Right. Overcharge. Right. Which is why the future of EV is affordable for everyone. Yes. Okay, cool. Well, I love this this start story, and I love that even though you're not like in it 100% because of the planet, you were committed to having an electric vehicle or a hybrid vehicle four years ago when you didn't even have a charger at your home or work. That really sounds like a challenge. Well, the, the most fascinating thing about it is that we don't all have to be doing the right thing for the same reason. We're talking about somebody who's an eco-warrior without being an eco-warrior and is doing the right thing, though, for different reasons. It's something that, you know, I would love to be more mindful of to appeal um, to a broader swath of people uh, because I'm a big believer in that wisdom that you don't need 7 billion people doing waste-free perfectly. You need just a whole bunch of them doing it imperfectly. Oh, another quote. You you are inspired by Future Earth today. I'm deeply inspired by Future Earth and its founder, Max. All right. We're on paper, on air, constantly just confessing. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit more about um, that sort of that persona and, and what makes you tick and and why you decide to make these um, uh, these choices, because it's very interesting that we're coming to the same conclusions, but from different places and for different reasons. Yeah, uh, Henry, I think that mentality is, is actually extremely important because the vast majority of people uh, are not going to be driven by a good cause. Uh, that's just the reality. So people that are doing the right thing for the wrong reason, uh, not exactly wrong reason, actually practical reasons, is the catalyst that turns uh, like a good cause 
good thing into something that that everyone will get aligned on. So you really need people that that puts the the good thing that they're doing and add to it, you know, incentives and other things that can align people that don't necessarily share the same uh, motivation or vision. And then so you can leverage more help to achieve that that end goal, which is the good thing. Right. Yeah. It, it seems to me, though, that you're um, it, just to, just to talk about this. You're, you're talking about a number of different sets of motivations for almost like a, a couple of different types of people that we haven't thought about. So, you know, just to be clear, like electric vehicles and, you know, um, the process of determining how you would integrate one into your life, where your chargers are, how you would charge it, how would it integrate into your day to day, how do you garage it? This has a financial incentive and has other different motivations um, for other people. Can we can we just briefly touch on some of the motivations that you found um, mm-hmm. uh, for people on the adoption side, both sides, those who are charger people versus those who are the vehicle operators? Like, um, what are some of those motivations that you're finding that are common? Yeah, so we actually run. So, so this idea I took into Y Combinator, which is a startup incubator. And when we launched Auto YC before we started trying to scale, because this is a, this is a marketplace uh, model. So there's people who are willing to share and there are people who are willing to go to a stranger's place to charge. So we had to figure out which side of that marketplace we built first. And then we ran a survey which came back with intuitive results, uh, which were the supply side were, were supposed to be harder to build because according to the survey, people with a home charger, uh, only about 40% of them are willing to share. The people, there are, there's about almost 70% of people that are willing to go to a stranger's place to charge. So we ended up focusing more on the supply side. And the reasons people are willing to, to share is actually almost always uh, just to help out someone that's in need. So at that, at that time, it's still uh, the EV community is still mostly early adopters uh, that actually do share that good reason, good cause. It's like when you see someone else driving an EV and you almost like, you know, make eye contact and you're like, yeah. Yes. We're part of the same squad. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're driving down the PCH and you're like, sup? Is that like a Pepsi commercial? (laughs) Yeah. So uh, it's mostly because of that. And also actually there's one interesting reason is actually also relating back to the early project I did. So for people, there are people that have EVs, you know, EV chargers at home that also have solar panels. So they are stuck with their solar credits uh, in the utility that they cannot use. Uh, So it's net metering. And then essentially letting someone else to go to their place to charge is a way to cash out of that solar credit that does not rely on the utility infrastructure or integrating with the utility building system. I love that. Right. Okay. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah, but it's a very tiny uh, portion of the the population. So, spoiler alert: uh, this idea didn't up, didn't end up working out. So, we did have to pivot to a more of a commercial solution, where we focused on workplaces and uh, multifamily. Uh, but simultaneously, currently, uh, even today, uh, we're running that. Airbnb form. So we still have, we're still the world's largest peer, uh, peer-to-peer or Airbnb platform for EV charging uh, with over 2,500 uh, hosted charters in 22 different countries, mostly in the US. 
but the traffic there is very low. Uh, people are still uh, sort of on the driver side, on the demand side, which we thought will naturally rise when we have more supply. Uh, it turned out it's not true. Uh, so people still, in reality, treat this as a last resort. So they only will use this form of charging uh, when they have an emergency. So how are you guys driving greater supply side and then greater adoption? Because that seems like two very distinct problems. So if we're still talking about the, the Airbnb model on the adoption side, we did it the most painful way possible, basically. Uh, just directly talking to people almost. You called my ex-girlfriend? <laughs> did uh, no, Max? No? Okay, fine. So the way we reach people, so we have the National Drive Electric Weeks uh, and then before COVID, you know, uh, people still right. showed up in person and uh, pretty fun events. So we went to a lot of those. And then we contacted all of the local uh, EV clubs in the States. And then we actually uh, hold some webinars to tell people about, you know, upcoming technology in the EV industry. And then at the same time, give ourselves a plug, which is, hey, uh, if you have home charter, share it on, on AMPUP because there's, 10 to 1 ratio of private charters to public charters. And if even if we convince just 10% of you uh, to open up, we instantaneously double our public charging infrastructure. Right. So that, that motivated a lot of people to share, uh, even though they don't really see anyone coming to charge. Those are the do-gooders right there. Yes. Right. Um, so I, I guess the question becomes, where is the challenge for us? Do we have challenge getting people to purchase EVs? Um, noting that they're actually very easy to operate? And do we have an education challenge there? Do we have a challenge on the supply side, getting people uh, to make EV charging more accessible? Um, do we have a, a challenge on the benefits and education side, noting that it's probably more cost effective in the short and medium term to own an EV? Uh, you know, like where do you see the, the growth challenges now? On the EV side, I see still more of an infrastructure challenge. So right. basically the availability of ch charging options, especially uh, the ones near where you work and live, because majority of the charging happens where you work or live, because simply right. because we're, that's where cars are parked the longest. And then, and then there's a lot of companies that, that actually focus more on the public charging, which is great, but they are solving 10% of the need with almost 80 or 90% of, uh, of the funding in this space. Uh, which to me is is crazy because the first thing we want to do is to get people to, uh, you know, use EVs or use cars for their daily driving and not really solve the case, edge case of uh, road trips. People don't take road trips that often, but, you know, it's always in front of their mind. Uh, that That's a blocker for them to, to adopt an EV, especially if they can only have one car for the family. Okay, so um, what do we think the things are, you know, just kind of like circling it up just a little bit that have to start to shift and change because you're, you're, you're getting really to like the core and the meat of it that people need to recognize that the real problem that they have to solve is the availability of charging for themselves. Um, and it's not too bad a problem because I bet they don't recognize already that, you know, somebody like you exists and that a lot of these problems have been solved for them. Like it's not an emergency solution. Like we have everyday solutions, right? Yeah. So to me personally, uh, from my perspective, the, the way to increase more EV adoption is to actually put up more chargers at workplaces and multifamily 
or even just single family, just come, uh, keep the incentive going for installing is, charters. Is that something you guys are, are doing though? Or, or are you like going to, you know, like major landlords and being like, Hey bro, you need to, you need to put your chargers in. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, actually we are focused pr- primarily in workplace and, uh, and HOAs, landlords, uh, multifamily property management, uh, companies. And then actually in many in California already, you know, any new constructions are required to have at least 10% of the parking spaces, uh, to have EV charters. Are you mostly in cities or suburbs? We are mostly in cities. And then what does, like, I think everyone must have heard it 15 times. Biden, every time he talks about climate, is pretty much like, we're going to install charging stations across the country. So what is that? I don't know what that actually looks like right now and what the roadmap is for it. Curious to hear what your thoughts are on it and how that might change your business and and the future for you. Yeah, so, um, well, so far... um, what I've been seeing is that the administration is definitely trying to do good and putting more uh, more government funding into this space, which which needs it. Uh, however, I feel there's a lack of expertise in how to actually spend that money. Uh, there are many many times you know we talk to either utility or state government about EV charging in the region. You know you have to first educate the people uh, that are in charge of the EV charging program. Uh, which is a surprise, and then people, and then some, some of them still have a, a bit of a misconception on some of the, the technical things on how things actually work. Uh, for example, almost everyone's required to. Uh, so in the EV charging space, they're starting to have a model where, uh, in order for you to get a government incentive, you need to be a vertically separated company. So that means the hardware needs to be supplied by a different company than the company that's providing the service, which is the software, which is what AMPUB is. But there are vertically integrated solutions out there. And there are many state programs uh, that are still giving these government funding to companies that are vertically integrated that does not work with anyone else, but they claim to be open system on paper. Tricky. These liars. Well, on the one hand, like it probably from an efficiency perspective, right, makes sense for it to be vertically integrated. But then you get it, we're a democracy and this is a government contract and it should be open and fair. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Uh, actually, in uh, it's actually better that it becomes a separate companies because, you know, the, the one analogy I can give you is, you know, if you if you guys remember back in the days when your phone is completely locked into your uh, cellular carrier, right? And you cannot switch that uh, at all. It just makes life painful. And then you end up paying every year more money to that uh, cellular carrier because they continue to charge you for, uh, you know, unknown reasons. Okay, so no was the answer to my question. I was wrong. <laughs> you were being polite. Yeah, from my, from my perspective, yes. Okay, got it, got it. Where were we I, with I have Biden? A quick question. Go ahead, go ahead. I have a, I have a quick question. Um, yeah, also, <laughs> where were we Where with were we with Biden? <laughs> yeah, also, but quick question. Um it feels to me like all of this gets significantly easier and better with education because it sounds like you've been getting at this from, you know, like two areas. Like if you can just go after the property owners and everything else um, and get supply uh, and there's enough supply, everybody hops in. But is there an opportunity for you to go after 
you know, property owners, malls, multifamilies, and then help them to educate, you know, like their residents and users about it. And, uh, and that's how you solve this, you know, like take the education and mm-hmm. give it back to the people who are incentivized to do it rather than having you guys be responsible for doing it. Yes, we are definitely doing, doing that with, um, with our community reach out and our marketing. Uh, however, there's actually one, uh, one player in this industry that could really do this, uh, really well is the car dealerships. But they are not incentivized to educate their customers about EVs because the car dealership business model is on maintenance and there's almost right. zero maintenance on EVs. So they are not incentivized to sell. Uh, therefore they're not there. They haven't been incentivized to educate their customers better on actually trying out or buying an EV. Yeah. You're likely going to destroy their industry and, you know, like the guys who have gas stations, right? Yes. The guys. <laughs> I think there's a chance for dealerships to pivot a little bit. Unlike the gas industry where one day they will, they will just be completely gone if they don't switch to support, you know, EV charging. Right. Tell us more there. How can they pivot? Uh, dealerships. So we're currently working with one of our recent, recent investor, Goodyear, which is a tire company. Uh, so they handle some of the things that typical uh, dealerships handles. So, you know, tire changes, uh, uh, oil changes, those kind of things. I think those are still necessary because if you, uh, if you know about Tesla and maybe even future Rivian, you know, there are new companies and then for, for a long time, the cars drive great, but the ownership experience is not perfect because there's just no dealership uh, to support you when you run into some issues. So say some, there's some, something went wrong. Uh, you need fixing using someone to take a look at maybe your screen doesn't let up anymore. And, and then you hear a clicking sound in your, uh, in your transmission or something like that. You need, you really need someone to take a look. But like I remember for Tesla, one of my friends had to wait almost nine months for someone to come and check out a problem that uh, there's oh, wow. a clicking sound. Well, he drives, w- which sounds crazy, but he continues to drive for that nine months until uh, the Tesla service person showed up. So, so I think there's still a really need, uh, there's still a big need for that dealership experience where you can, you know, easily go to make an appointment and get someone to take a look at your car. I think there are other things you can probably around electric vehicles that can help the dealerships recoup their revenue. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, they need to expand. These third-party sort of maintenance places need to expand. Because I live in a city that has a Tesla dealership and a bunch of other EV dealerships, but that definitely isn't the case for most of the country and most of the world. Yeah. What are you... Now I'm still thinking back to the infrastructure plan. And all these EV charging stations and how much, mm-hmm. like, sometimes, you know, I'm I'm 100% in the climate space. Well, I'm, I'm like 95% in the climate space and 5% on the business side of things. So when I look, when I get really overwhelmed by the state of the world and, you know, the fact that the other day, the Line 3 pipeline started bringing tar sands from Canada and I feel like losing my mind um, and I need to be hopeful, I think about how quickly technology is really getting adopted and how quickly things are changing from every part of the industry. Like the fact that renewable energy is becoming cheaper than fossil fuel in most places in the world and all of these things. So I'm curious to hear from you, what are you looking forward to in the next few years? And mm-hmm. 
Um, it could be like on a personal spiritual level related to the environment, but also just on a business technology level too. Yeah. Uh, so in the next few years, one big thing that will happen. Uh, so first with the business uh, and technology side, I think one thing the government is doing that that's going to actually uh, motive, solve the problem of charging infrastructure is uh, requiring all the government fleet to electrify first. And then that will later also inspire other fleets. Right, then it's game over. Yes, because, you know, when you require these large vehicles, you know, trucks and city buses and garbage trucks, uh, USPS delivery trucks to electrify, they will motivate an increase in charging infrastructure. And uh, we're already talking to a few uh, fleet operators about how to set up their charging depot, how to manage load. Uh, in order to uh, you know minimize their energy cost from the utility, and then also how how to help them set up fleet driver home charging if the vehicle is small enough for the fleet uh, drivers to take them home, so that going forward they have a home charger that can maybe inspire the fleet driver to adopt EV themselves for personal use. Mm-hmm. And then another really crazy and amazing thing with uh, you know this medium heavy duty vehicle uh, turn electric is this concept called V2G, a vehicle to grid. So people are already developing, and then many of the technology is already there, is um, bidirectional charging. So uh, the school buses that, you know, you know, they only really service four hours, at most four hours of the day. The rest of the day, they sit around just like a big battery. Uh, so if they have remaining capacity or if they're empty, uh, they can produce that they can put the power back onto the grid when the grid uh, doesn't have enough uh, or when the grid has a lot and there's not enough demand, they can be used as storage. basically a battery storage. Yeah, that's right. Interesting. I love the ways everything you're, a lot of things you're saying decentralize the way things work. Like the idea of people ha- giving their extra solar to a neighbor's EV. Because to me, it's like so much of the excitement here with technology and the way things are changing is that grids will be decentralized, that we won't have oligarchs anymore, that there will be this this concept of energy democracy. Yeah, exactly right. And uh, our grid currently is not really able to handle all that uh, distributed, uh, you know, assets and uh, decentralization of power generation. So we really need a better system to make everything more collaborative. And then you actually become a more resilient grid. What does that look like? What, well, it looks what like citizens. Look like? like it looks like citizens. Really, it's a top-down and bottom-up solution because you have to obviously, you know, get the grid to be provided with 100% renewable energy, and 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 all of these big system things that are involved in the infrastructure. But then you're putting the power in the hands of people to say, you know. This is the little bit that I can do to not overburden the grid in times where energy use is really high or the other way around. Like, that's really cool. And especially in cities where people really don't have a strong control over their carbon footprint. You know, you live in a rental and you mostly take public transportation, maybe, and you don't really have control over where your energy comes from right now. Yeah. That was my rant. Go ahead, Tom. Let's go on, Max. Yeah, so what the utilities really like is a consistent demand from people like, throughout the 24 hours. 
what they don't like is fluctuations. So right. a, a wave of demand. So sometimes high, sometimes low, sometimes high, sometimes low. Because when you have that fluctuation is when utility needs to figure out, hey, where can I get the extra power? So they have to turn on. Whoa, wait, uh, wait, sorry, sorry, plant. sorry. But they do like it because they charge you. They, it's like it's like Uber surcharging when the demand is high. No, 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 no. That's the thing that creates like the biggest nightmares and biggest spikes for them and, and challenges, right? That's, yeah. that's your Operating basis for But they also make a lot of money in those moments. I mean, maybe they're charging you a lot more to de-incentivize you to be using electricity in those high demand moments, but that's a thing. Yeah. No, no, no. They, they would much rather prefer, you know, from like even just a bottom line standpoint, stable consumption that's increasing incrementally. Okay. Yeah, uh, a more gradual way. Uh, what the so utilities in the U.S. are mostly regulated, so they actually honestly don't care how many customers they have. Uh, their prices are reverse engineered, so they make the same amount of money no matter what. They are mostly IOUs, and then they guarantee a five percent annual right. return to their to their investors. So their prices are reverse engineered, so they really don't care. Uh, it's but like the modern that, mafia. <laughs> time. Yes. It's, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes, incidentally, right. Yeah, so basically, yeah, like Henry said, they um, they want a more steady demand curve uh, on the grid. So all the all the different electric vehicles actually will be key to ha- help sort of flatten that demand curve, not make it low, but just make it flat instead of uh, you know bouncing up and down like a sine wave. Okay, so there's an interesting number of things then that you can do if you're really aggressive into world saving. You should get yourself some solar panels, um, give back to the grid and offer your spaces up as, you know, a charging station, uh, it seems like. Um, But if you're just thinking about how you can be more cost effective and be in front of the transitioning curve uh, and not be subject to fluctuating and ever increasing gas prices because OPEC isn't producing more cutting costs anytime soon, you can figure out where you can charge your vehicle and how it fits into your life much more simply now than you could in previous years and then move over to EV. Um, And if you're just thinking about it or you're not a vehicle owner like yours truly, uh, it sounds like we're also tacitly asking every individual to put pressure on the government to switch over um, their vehicle fleet to electric to help, you know, further this transition. And, you know, like that targeting um, and voting for elected officials who are, you know, behind that is the low hanging for does, does that kind of cover it for all of the things? I mean, I, I guess, how can um, users today educate themselves or use AMP up in a way that, you know, we haven't discussed yet? One, one idea that we're actually launching in 2022 uh, is with our coverage in the U.S., which is growing, we are actually directly operating thousands of charters. And we are actually, one of our recent projects is actually utility pole charging. So uh, we launched the first utility pole charger uh, with National Grid and the city of Melrose and our hardware partner, EVSE LLC, in the city of Melrose. Where's Melrose? Sorry. Uh, in Massachusetts. Okay. Yeah. It's not too far from Boston. Yeah. So over there. We have, I think, about 12 charters installed on uh, the utility poles. And installation cost was reduced by 70% because of that. And then also, uh, one feature 
that people loved was actually the AMPUP's Yelp integration. So in the AMPUP mobile app, we have a Yelp integration that shows all the uh, restaurants and coffee shops within 0.3 miles. Nice. So basically walkable oh, distance. Right. Yep. And then you to charge it, go have some coffee. Yep. Exactly. Oh my God, I do that all the time. <laughs> Actually, you guys know the national average for charging session. What's, what is it? It's like an hour? It's uh, about an hour and a half. So there's another misconception is, you know, for non-EV uh, people today, they keep thinking, you know, they have to charge a vehicle from zero to full. And that typically on a level two charger takes six to seven hours. But once you actually drive an EV, you will find out that you never do that. Almost never. Uh, you're always, you know, char- it's like charging your laptop. You plug it in whenever there's an outlet. Uh, so the average charging session is less than two hours. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Well, um, Tom Sun, thank you very, very much for, um, uh, for joining us. Max, do you have any additional questions for our guest? No questions, but Tom, I was I definitely need to share that I was daydreaming a little a second ago about like having a massive plot of land and covering it in solar panels and setting up EV chargers and being completely off grid and giving a big middle finger to the utility companies and the oil companies. <laughs> it was a fun it was a fun it was a fun uh little daydream i had there this so you really got me max land <laughs> yeah start your own you really got me inspired i have to say i very much enjoyed this conversation tesla is applying to sell electricity in texas i saw that yeah i saw that well see that's like the modern oligarch so i yeah. love the ideas of the ways we can use technology to decentralize things and f yeah. with the system Slash help it at the same time. There she is. Yeah. Flipping the middle finger to the man. All right. Yeah, it's time for me to take a nap. (laughs) (laughs) Nope, she's just getting wound up. Had coffee this morning. It's time for you to go back to the vehicle that's been charging this entire time. (laughs) Yeah, perfect charging session. Tom Sun, thank you very, very much again. Um, uh, Check out Amp Up online if you guys get the chance at ampup.io. I am Henry Lin of Better World. And I'm Max Moynian of Future Earth. Please join us again uh, to hear some more helpful and very um, triggering on occasion tips on how you can make the world a better place or perhaps decentralize your businesses to bring down the oligarchy. There we go. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Henry. <laughs>